Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to The PR Show. The Black Lives Matter movement has shone a light on racial inequality in society and this has led to a period of soul-searching across business and in the communications industry. The brutal reality is that PR is sorely lacking in ethnic diversity. The CIPR's latest State of Oppression report found only 9% of professionals come from a Black, Asian or minority ethnic background. Among leadership ranks, this figure is much lower. Another study that tracked the lived experience of BAME professionals paints a bleak picture. It highlights cases of racism, microaggressions and unconscious bias with BAME professionals working in inflexible and non-inclusive work environments that stifle opportunities and career progression. This is leading to an alarming exodus of BAME talent. Recent initiatives such as Blueprint aim to address this imbalance, but what are our industry bodies, the PRCA and CIPR, doing about ethnic diversity? To discuss this, I'm joined by the CIPR's CEO, Alastair McCapra, and Avril Lee, who is the Chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Network. We also have the PRCA's Director-General, Francis Ingham, and Barbara Phillip, who is the Chair of the PRCA's Race and Ethnicity Equity Board. Thank you for joining us. So I wanted to start off with by taking a deeper look at PR and why it has a diversity problem, especially when it comes to ethnic diversity. I'll ask the diversity leads to sort of give us a bit of a background. Let's start off with you, Avril, and then Barbara, we'll just get some thoughts on why you think there is a diversity problem in PR. Um, I think there's a range of factors depending on what type of diversity you're looking at. I think from a, the ethnic diversity type of piece, I think there is a large part of it is around um, the view of the profession and whether we're, we are a profession. I think family and friends and parents have a viewpoint on whether this is the right sort of industry for their children. And I think uh, so they can, be, they can face questions around what, what does this profession do? What will you do in PR? Is, is it something that's going to see you progress and succeed and be able to, you know, fund yourself in the future? There's also, I think, a lack of awareness in ethnic communities. It has improved, I think, in the, in the last couple of years, but I think that is, it's something that people don't always think of as a possible career. Uh, and then the obvious one is, obviously, not a lot of people are getting through the door. And the other part of that is, which I know we're going to come and discuss later, is once you get through the door, 
do you get the progression and the retention that we need to see people go through the whole industry and of course you know we've seen some of these challenges we've seen in the race in PR report we've also seen for other groups um, in their careers like women in PR etc um, another factor that comes up is is stress it's a very stressful industry and I wonder whether that also uh, means that people leave us interesting we did do a survey of BAME students a few years ago uh, and BAME and white students and we actually found that the BAME students were more interested in PR as a career than some of the, than the white students at that time. Now, whether that's changed in recent years, I don't know, but we, I think we, my memory says right, we surveyed quite a large, uh, significant number and found that they, they were interested in PR as a career. So I think there's a number of factors um, through you know, who's coming through the pipeline to what happens once you get in the door um, of why we're not as diverse as we should be. And then, of course, you know, once you get in the door, like I say, it's the monoculture that then hits you. It's a really interesting point you raised, Avril. I'll get um, Barbara to share her views, especially when it comes to the status of the um, of the profession. I mean, I, I found the same thing in journalism too. I've got an Indian mother, and she still to this very day doesn't like the fact that I'm a journalist because the, the um, idea of being a journalist in Indian society um, it just has no status. So, what do you think is are some of the causes um, of poor diversity in PR, Barbara? Um, well, I don't think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that it's necessarily knowledge, because if you think about a lot of young people, um, a lot of them have, let's take music industry, for instance, they've all done, a lot of people do guerrilla marketing, they start their own record labels, they start their own publishing labels, they, you know, they're aware of communications, they're aware of how to communicate to each other, obviously, a lot of young people from, you know, black and ethnic and diverse communities are on social media, have mastered, you know, how to make social media work for them. So I don't think it's that aspect. I think it's really more about um, role models. It's more about who they see in, you know, if you ever see any big glossy um, editorials about PR or marketing, there are never any black or brown faces. So I think it's more about what they may have heard from anybody they know. They're not really seeing any role models um, and yeah, I think I say I put it down to those because I think awareness, it used to be awareness, but as I say, the social media, the onslaught of social media, I think young people, you know, as, as young as primary school age, 10, 11, have mastered social media and are on it and they are fully aware of that, you know, that exists. You can make a career about, you know, marketing or communicating to people, but it's uh, just not seeing the faces, not, not, not in any great numbers, not any great height in the organization or seniority in the organizations. Okay, that's a really good point in terms of role models. And it sort of segues nicely into our next part where we're going to look at how ethnically diverse professional bodies are. Let's start off with the PRCA and I'll get you to chip in now, Francis. How ethnically diverse is the PRCA and the leadership team? Um, if you mean the PRCA board? Well, yes, and, and also I guess executive management as yeah. well. Yeah, I get it. So in terms of the PRCA board, it wasn't diverse at all uh, until a few weeks ago. And I hold my hands up on this and say, absolutely, we were um, just remiss in addressing this um, over the years. Um, over the last few weeks, we've taken action to do so. Uh, we've had a few of our board stand down to make way for others from more diverse backgrounds. So Tony Langham standing down, David Gallagher, John Hughes, um, Ed Williams. And uh, we've now got three new uh, members of the board uh, who've joined Barbara um, on it. And we have further progress to make um, ahead of our AGM in September. And I've said we'll do that and be held accountable to that commitment. In terms of my senior management team, if you include me, there are seven of us. Uh, four of them are women and three of them would count themselves as not coming from a 
a white British background. Okay. In terms of why um, there hasn't been much ethnic diversity, what, what do you put it down to? Um, partly oversight by me, um, and I, I take full responsibility for that. Um, secondly, our board tends, our board has two elements to it. Um, one is uh, it, it recommendations of myself and the chairman, and those recommendations tend to be getting the very big agencies on the board uh, who all have um, white senior uh, leadership teams right at the top, quite honestly. And then the second element is people putting themselves forward for the board at AGMs. Um, and we've had a very um, limited experience of people taking that, that, um, that opportunity. I mean, it's, it's more diverse at the PR council level, which is a much broader organisation that sets our sort of policy work for the year. But at the board level, um, it's been an error. And I fully admit that. Okay. Why now? Why did you decide to change it now? Why at this point? Has a lot of it to do with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and a lot of soul searching around going on? What was the reason for, it, for doing it now? Um, the reason is very simply, um, personally, myself and Jim Donaldson, Fleischman, uh, realised we had not given enough attention to the composition of the board in this regard as we should previously. Um, and secondly, I think there has been a change in opinion within our membership in the wider industry. Um, it's always had diversity as an issue. It's never made it into the top of their issues. And the last couple of months has raised it very significantly um, up that list. And that's a, that's a good thing. We welcome it. And as I say, we've made a series of commitments about it and we expect to be held accountable to those commitments. Barbara, take us through the Race and Ethnicity Equity Board, um, what it does, what it's charged with doing, and what sort of teeth it has to, to really influence um, the direction of, of the PRCA. Well, the board, which has obviously recently formed, it, um, the, the PRCA board have given it standing committee status, which means that it's embedded into the constitution of the organization, which is great news. So it can't be, you know, should we fall out of favor? Should race and ethnicity, you know, let's presume it's, it may just be a buzzword because it has been before. You know, this time next year, we might be thinking about something else, but the we would still be here. We'll still be here pushing the envelope and agitating. So it's a permanent fixture within PRCA. And in terms of teeth, well, I mean, it's what comes with being a standard committee. I mean, we'll have access to all of the, um, everything that's available in PRCA. They help us with marketing. They're, they're obviously going to make introductions. There's networking. There's everything available to senior members of the PRCA board to help promote PRCA and this cause. So I'd say of all the boards and networking groups that I've been involved in over many a long period, especially within organizations, this one actually has some teeth. So okay. this, this is why I'm here. So I say, yes, it's in a position to make real substantive change. Okay, and what are some of your key priorities um, initially? Well, we have a terms of reference. Um, and if you get a chance to look at our terms of reference, we have a long list of goals that we set, not only for the industry, but also for PRCA. So, you know, Francis doesn't get off that lightly. So <laughs> he let us in the door and now there's things to be done. But just, I mean, I have a host of them, but some of them, I think some of the standout ones are things like a psychologically safe environment for black and ethnic employees to succeed unimpeded. 
Now, if you are experiencing microaggressions or you're working in a, in a non-inclusive environment, that's really, really important, but it's not actually listed anywhere. You know, no one puts it to paper, no one has it as a goal, but that's something that, that, that we're really um, in favor of. One of the first things we're tackling is the race, well, the, actually the ethnicity pay gap. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. That shouldn't be around, and it is. So we're kind of tackling that one first. Mm -hmm. And then all the rest of our goals um, include things like, you know, the, what you'd expect, visible representation, visible representation. Also, but in succession planning, we're quite specific in what we're asking for it. You know, diversity and race issues can be quite general because it's comfortable. We've gone right, cut right to the bone in terms of if you're going to have representation, it must be in all the people who are making the decisions and it must be in, in succession planning. And it must be any sort of specialist coaching, training, leadership courses. You must have, um, you know, diverse representation there as well, or it's not actually, nothing's going to happen. That's just some of the things. Let's say we have a long list and we're going to look our way through them. Okay. So let's just say one of your members is found to have a workplace that isn't psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. um, what happens in that case? Will you then sort of investigate and, and take any form of action? Well, it's not actually if, it's, it kind of is. That's the status quo. It generally is unsafe. So, you know, there's no, there's no actually actual need for us to say, okay, let me pinpoint you, Miss Agency, because, you know, your, your culture is unsafe. I think people recognise, and everyone who's on the board understands, and the new PRCA board, understand that it generally is not an inclusive environment. So the way we're going to um, address that is say, we're going to go through our list of suggestions. We're going to produce some guides. We're going to work with outside experts, produce some guides on how to shift things in your organization. If you want to cut it right down to the core, it's actually cultural transformation and cultural change because all of the microaggressions, all of the lack of you know, representation, not being promoted, not being recognized, not being paid the same amount of money comes from cultural processes and cultural um, environments. So that's the core of what we're, we're aiming at right now. Okay, so how will you hold members accountable? Obviously, as you said, this problem is quite widespread, but I imagine over time we'll be monitoring change. What if you have some um, members, for example, who aren't changing at all is, is there any sort of way that you, you monitor and police that and, and, and influence change that way we are planning to part of the work that we're going to do with, with within the prca ourselves as, as well as having you know representation on the board um we're going to look at our code of ethics um and we believe that race should play a part of not only the, the diversity practices but specifying race i.e in you know in layman's terms you can't hold yourself up to be a member of the PRCA, say you work eth ethically, but found to have rampant racism within your organization. So that's one way, because we are obviously a professional body. And the same, to go, you know, same goes with our CMS standard. So we're going to implement some additional, um, some additional wording and some additional intent that, so, that makes people aware, all of our practitioners and our members aware, that race now is part of what you need to be doing to practice properly and practice ethically. So Alistair, how ethnically diverse is the CIPR um, as an industry body and your leadership team? Okay, so um, in terms of our overall membership, we don't gather regular data on that uh, because that's the somewhat fraught question. Um, but in terms of our board, we have a board of 11 elected members and currently one of them is black and one of them is Asian by origin. Mm -hmm. um, they're, not, they're not the first ones. That number 
has gone up and down uh, over the years, um, but that, that's where it is at the moment. Uh, we'd be very happy to see more uh, BAME members elected to our board, and it's quite possible that in the light of all the discussions going on at the moment, more will come forward. Um, in terms of this staff overall, uh, there are 25 staff and 60% of them are white and 40% of them are BAME. And in the senior leadership team, including me, there are four white and one who is from a minority background. Okay. Are you doing anything sort of actively to promote um, a more sort of ethnically diverse board? Um, other than general encouragement, at the moment, no, we're not. Uh, we don't. We you know we don't intend to kind of create special seats for any particular group. Um, we haven't done that uh, in in the past. We have. Uh, we if, thinking back in recent years, we have um, done a number of kind of informal pushes to reach um, parity between men and women on the board because going back, let's say, 10 years, our board was very much dominated by men uh, and no longer is. But that was a change that took place through kind of discussion consensus and people recognising that they needed to create space for others rather than through formal mechanisms. Okay. Uh, Avril, I might just get you to chip in here. What are some of the activities that CIPR is doing to actively promote a more ethnically diverse industry? Uh, well, as you know, the recent Race in PR report uh, was one that came out of the Diversity and Inclusion uh, Network. Um, so that was something that was in the pipeline for, well, well over, I think, about 10 months with us putting it together. Um, over the years, we've had a lot of uh, equal access uh, network events. We've brought a number of speakers from across the whole diversity mix to speak to members of the CIPR and people who want to come along to our events. Now, at the moment, we've just relaunched the group. The group did events and did guidance and also gave a lot of advisory to the council and the board of the CIPR now we've just become a membership group so all the members of the CIPR can sign up to get updates from us and we're also expanding our committee we had a very small tight committee and in fact what we want to do now is grow out so we could you know one of the bigger challenges is diversity is so broad and there are lots of different areas we need to look at I mean you know we spent many a year looking at women and diversity and the gender pay gap which actually we've seen some movement on but it's still there I totally agree with Barbara you know the ethnic pay gap and quite frankly, the diversity pay gap is probably the you know, one thing we all need to look at going forward. And so I think keeping the conversation going across different areas of diversity, I think, you know, BAME and black is particularly important, but I think also as we get better at things and as we start saying, what is the inclusive culture, then obviously as we make that change, it questions how we're dealing with other diverse communities as well. So um, broadening out so we can do some more work by making our group bigger is what we're doing. Um, people will be able to sign up to get updates. I think looking forward, we spent quite a bit of time um, no surprises here and uh, I've brought it up before previously looking at how we might benchmark across the industry mm. and uh, we spent a good year trying to get that off the ground and I think that's something we should look at going forward because we've talked about measurement and various different chats and I think that would be one way we could have one type of data collection that might give us a bigger picture we can you know maybe join together to do that but I think that's a key area like I say the ethnicity pay gap's a key area um, and I think really now there's various different partners and schemes going I think we want to make sure that every organisation, every department has its own plan. It's your own journey. We know everybody's in a different place. Um, but I think if, if, if in a year from now people haven't got a plan in place, haven't got what is their response, uh, you know, then they will be questioned about it. And I think going back to our, our key messages, anything we can do to help senior leaders seeing see this as their own responsibility they have to own this you know they're the only ones who can truly been about change and i'm not literally not my cap to both francis and alistair but i'll be honest with you nothing i've ever seen from an industry body has changed the culture in any organization i've worked in and we are talking about cultural change because that's the only way people will 
you know, get in the door, succeed, progress, be celebrated and be retained. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Make those role models that Barbara's talking about. So we're actually going to look at, we're doing a survey of our new membership, um, and we're going to look at what people want us to focus on. Uh, and come out with a, a plan about w- what our priorities are. But I think that gives you a flavour of what's in our minds at the moment in terms of the current committee. Okay. I want to um, turn our attention to training programmes and events. Um, the HR industry body, the CIPD, has recently revised all of its training material um, so that it has ethnic diversity in mind. I'm just wondering if that's, if that's something that the PRCA and the CIPR are considering as well. Perhaps I'll start off with you, Francis. Is that something that you've thought about? Um, we are putting together a whole new range of training programs um, and we're seeking Reeb and our diverse networks uh, views on that in order to help mm-hmm. shape them. Uh, we've also said that every, everybody who takes part in a PRC qualification has to do the diversity module as a compulsory element and everybody who registers on our CPD platform has to do the same as well. And on the C- on the CPD platform, I mean, it, it's cross-industry. Uh, we've got over a dozen um, other associations and other partners who sit within that platform, and it has thousands of people on it. So that should have, I would hope, a significant uplift in the number of people who are taking that sort of training and hopefully changing attitudes uh, both at junior level and at managerial level. Okay, will you be sort of monitoring how that, that uptake is going? Uh, we always do, yeah. Okay. What about you, Alistair? Um, is the CRPR looking to sort of refresh um, it, its training modules and, and, and other things? I think we, uh, it's something that we're conscious of um, in our existing training, but yes, I think we should be more explicit about. And we, you know, we, we review our training materials on a fairly regular cycle. So I think that... Um, this, this particular element is something that there'll be a stronger focus on as each thing comes through for renewal. Um, we want to put some particular effort into making sure that the, the uh, I mean, most of the learning that goes on in the CIPR is self-directed and doesn't involve training that we offer directly. Um, so most people look to our CPD platform for resources on a whole range of things. So we're putting particular effort at the moment to making sure that the widest possible range of um, activities, learning activities is on that platform so that people who want to improve their own understanding and develop their own um, ability to change, to make that culture change in their own organisation are well served by what we provide for them. 
Okay. Look, let's take a look at some of the industry initiatives that are, that are out there. And, and I wanted to start off with the Blueprint one. Is that an industry initiative that the CIPR supports? Uh, yes, we support it very strongly. And um, at the moment, we, we can't apply for it ourselves because at the moment it's only uh, in its kind of early stages and it's only uh, directed at agencies. But we expect that as it, um, as it develops, it will become accessible to people who are not agencies. So what we're going to do uh, from now on is shadow that, which is to say we're going to look at the commitments and the standards in, in, in that accreditation and we're going to work towards those so that when it becomes open to us to apply, uh, we will apply. Okay. And there was another one that recently came out as well called the Driven Pledge. What are your thoughts yeah. about that? I mean, it seems to be similar-ish to the to Blueprint, but it's sort of less uh, committed in some ways. It, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly different kind of thing because the, the Blueprint is an accreditation, which means, you know, you have to be sort of inspected and there's a standard which you could potentially lose if you're, if you're not meeting it. The, the Driven Pledge is more of a, again, a self-reflective thing. It's a, an easier-to-access tool that's a good starting point and probably you know, if you're running an agency, I think Blueprint is probably uh, something you might want to aspire to soon. If you're a sole practitioner or uh, if you're a manager in an in-house team or other things, then I think the Driven Pledge is probably a good starting place if you haven't already done something else. So it's like horses for courses, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are your views on, on those two industry initiatives, Francis? Um, very supportive of both and very supportive of, of more as well. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anybody, any one person or one organisation has the solution to deep-seated problems um, that are built up over generations. Um, and I said um, at the Driven event that I, and elsewhere that I've been hearing the same speeches, including one that's given by me, over the last 15 years and without any change in the composition or seniority of, uh, of our industry in this regard. Um, so I don't think any one person has the right answer, I say, including themselves. So we, we support all of them. I mean, and as Alistair says, for some blueprint is the way forward, for some driven is a good starting point. We've embedded diversity, as Barbara said, into communications management standard, which we expect our members to achieve. Used to be optional, it's now mandatory. We should have made that change some years ago, probably, but we are where we are and we're trying to improve from where we are. So we will support any initiative um, from any other organization that we think is credible and that meets our common goals. Okay. Barbara, I might just get you to um, chip in a little bit in terms of industry initiatives. What are your thoughts on Blueprint, the Driven Pledge, and, and what other initiatives are out there that you are aware of or ones that you might be exploring? Um, I'm very supportive of Blueprint. I think uh, it's very it's very considered. It was developed by a diverse group of people, and I think it's tough on purpose. So you know, it really is a holding people to a high standard and a commitment to things. But there are a range of ways of doing it. And I think you know, as a CIPR group, we said there's diversity inclusion specialists. There's also people looking at diversity with the communications hat on. Um, it is a journey. I know BAME 2020, for example, are also looking at how people might look at their cultures and might measure how inclusive their cultures are, again, as a sort of temperature check before you go ahead and then start planning how you might address that. So mm -hmm. there's quite a, quite a lot of things, you know, different out there to, to meet the different needs. I think the main thing is, are you thinking about it and are you, are you addressing it? I mean, I think you can all go through all these, whether it's a training course or it's an initiative, I think they're all really important, but fundamentally they won't 
just be a quick, so this is not, you know, tick the three boxes and you've solved everything. This is actually about becoming more aware as an individual, more aware as an organisation, and actually how do you fundamentally change, you know, hearts and minds. So um, I am supportive of many of these initiatives, and I think people just need to start the journey, and if they're already on it, think about what is the next level. I think, you know, I hear what people are saying, we've, we've all had this talk for a long time, so I think there was a lot of ignoring it denial it was just easier to carry on without sort of addressing it because it wasn't like I say coming to the top of the agenda I think people knew it was the issue was there and I've been in diversity inclusion you know campaigning for long enough to know that but now there is impetus there is pressure now to deliver some change and what I said to people is we're not going to prescribe you know like I say the five tick boxes you can do it in your own way but show that you have engaged show that you care as senior leaders show that you know you're committed to actually making a difference no more lip service now we want some proper action that delivers an industry that is fit for the future Okay, Barbara, I might, I might just get you to chime in here. Um, I recently spoke to a Birmingham University lecturer, Philip Young, and he says that one of the major problems that they have, it, it's not so much attracting main talent, it's more of an image problem with PR and, and a status problem. Um, is that something that, that, that you would agree with coming from that background? Um, I wouldn't agree with the, the status really, because as they, I don't know how up to date his research is, but my um, understanding of young people, if you like, it's not necessarily the status of the role. It's sadly, it's what you get with the, you know, what the, the role gives you. And that's how the status is more measurable than, you know, the status of having a role. It's, it's a bit like, you know, back in the old days when I was growing up, teachers had a great status, you know, good standing mm. in the community. Doctors still do, nurses still do. So I think it's evolved along that, those lines. Um, but just going back a little bit to, to you know, in, industry uh, accreditation and, you know, the sorts of things like the blueprint are out there. What mm. I think is important about these is that there is some level of accountability because in my experience, why a lot of initiatives in diversity, but specifically race, because obviously that's what the board is interested in more than anything, has been there's been no accountability. And it's been on two levels in terms of you would go and, you know, call your usual diversity person who, you know, do the usual bit of training, some unconscious bias, all sorts of things. And everyone would say, thank you very much. We've done that. Aren't we great? And that would be the end of it. But there's no actual accountability. There is no measurement. There is no evaluation. So what I like about, I mean, I've, I've, I know the blueprint. I haven't got into you know, any of the other ones, the, the kind of the driven pledges yet, but I know there's some other things out there. So they're really important from that point of view. And the second point is using specialists. Now, when we start to approach our PRCA board members, um, something we want to do is have a recommended list of suppliers who are specialists in these areas because it's, you know, it's going to be in stages. It's first, you have to identify and acknowledge that your organization could be better. That might take some time. And then it's what you do. And then you get that evaluated and rubber stamped if you like. And then somebody else might be helping you maintain that. So you might be using a series of suppliers. And I think that's what I, this accreditation is in a, in a list or a, a group of different suppliers you need for this specialist work. So I think it's really, really important that it actually exists because it just hasn't, you know, there's no accountability. And that's what's gone on, I think, to date, until today. That's a really good point. And, and I just want to ask you as, as a follow-up question, in terms of accountability, what can industry bodies like the PRCA do to help sort of um, drive that accountability? I think it comes back to our 
initially it comes back to our ethical standards and as Francis was mentioning you know our CMS um, accreditation the point is if you want to be in and this is why it's good we're all on this call if you want to be associated with you know part of a professional body which we know in industry you really should be because big clients expect it you know it's an expectation if you're a big agency or in-house team so I think we can you know flex our muscles a little bit in terms of ethical standards are X, you must, you know, for you to be out there and claim that you are an ethical organisation, it's a bit like the B Corp. You must, you know, go through these processes. You must show that, you know, you're, you're looking at processes, you're looking at recruitment, all sorts of things. I think we can use our weight either individually or jointly to say, if you're in this industry, you should be in a professional body and the professional bodies are saying these are the standards. I think that's, that's the way to start right now. Okay, uh, while I've got you all on the line, this is a great opportunity to ask you, will you be working more closely together as industry bodies to help drive um, meaningful change in terms of ethnic diversity? Francis, I'll ask that to you first, and I'll go to Alistair. Yeah, absolutely. And Alistair and I have a great working relationship, have done for several years. We've collaborated on lots of things in the past, and we've already spoken about collaborating on shared um, data in this field and about cross-promotion of one another's offering in this field because um, although we compete occasionally uh, for training bookings or for um, share of voice, um, we have um, shared goals here. So it makes absolute sense in the interest of the industry to work together. And, and if we don't, um, people should make the industry aware of that, that we're, uh, that we're falling down on the standards we ought to be upholding. Okay, Alistair? Yes, I mean, we've, we've talked about um, how we could do a, a common listening exercise. One, one of the challenges in terms of accountability is what, you know, how exactly are we going to hold people accountable and what, what are we asking them to do and how do we measure these? You know, we've talked a lot about culture change and changing the nature of the, the workplace. Those are quite intangible things in many respects. They're not immediately going to translate into higher proportions of people from minority backgrounds uh, in, in your headline stats for your, for, for your workforce. And indeed, of course, if you're, if you're a very small agency outside London or if you're a sole practitioner, um, you're not going to see those, no matter how you change your own behaviour, that's not going to be reflected in there. So there's a whole piece of work to be done to think about what, what are the kind of um, outcomes that we're looking for? How do we support people? How do we gather understanding of what's been tried and worked, what's been tried and hasn't worked, and how do we model that and get other people to pick it up? So I think that's exactly the kind of task that lends itself to our two organisations and indeed possibly others. Uh, working together because um, it's you know it, it, it's it's not not something we can keep um, trying to pursue from a you know a particular uh, organisation perspective. It's something that we all have to work together on. Okay, I want to ask our diversity leads what more needs to be done to promote ethnic diversity that's not currently being done. Let's start with you, Avril, and then I'll ask Barbara. Um, like I said, there's a lot being done as we've just said. I, fundamental for me, I think, is what would make a, truly make a difference is that everybody feels a responsibility to be uh, more aware of the ethnic diversity in our industry and to be aware of the behaviours that are not acceptable in the workplace and to call them out. Because fundamentally that would change a lot of the day-to-day -day experience, would change how people progress. And so what I, the worst thing is, which we often see is, you know, a diverse person raises it as an issue and they get given the job and the, spe the special projects title to go and sort it out. Actually, we should all own this uh, problem and work towards improving it. And I think if, if we all took some responsibility, uh, we'd actually see some real change. Okay, Barbara? What else would you like to say? 
I'd agree to a certain extent. I still think, you know, a lot has to do with representation. But I think what's only just starting to happen this year is listening. I don't think organizations really have been listening because, you know, I've been talking about my experiences. Lots of people have. This is not new. Some of what I refer to is 10 years old. So it's, I think it's about listening. Um, and then there's almost a piece. When I first started on this kind of journey with the PRCA and we were talking, you know, I mentioned one of the first things I mentioned was desire. There is absolutely no appetite and no desire. That's why it hasn't changed. Same as with the gender pay gap. You know, they don't want to pay women the same amount of men. That's why they weren't, we're not paid. It's that simple. And I think we have, as grown-ups, we should acknowledge that there's a desire for it to stay exactly as it is. Now, if you can accept that there's a desire there, that to me, that's the starting point. And I know there's lots of stats about bottom line and, you know, having diverse boards and what it does for the bottom line and how profitable and how everybody's more productive. But all of those stats are out there, but yet. So I think there's more work to be done on listening. And I think it's going to come down to, and this is where we can work, both organizations can work together. It really has to come down to, you know, as an organization, as an agency, if you are ethical, if you are a good business person, you'll see that it's better that it's more than the right thing to do. You'll see that this is what you have to do. You know, we're not there yet. And it's like, this is really what has to happen in the future because the way things are are not sustainable. And a lot of big organizations, I haven't just grasped that yet. They're still happy to float around saying, yeah, when it comes to me, I'll cross, I'll burn that bridge when it comes to me, <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything now. Um, and I think that's where I think I'm really in, in favor, like Francis and Alice, it's, it's, you know, if we can combine our forces and have the message for the industry, this is an industry that cares about and, you know, and, and, and uh, cares about what's happening and is pr promoting that all diversity, especially race, is important to the future of our business, not because it feels good. It's the profitability and future of our industry. Then we should, you know, this is what we should be undertaking. Okay. Final thoughts, and I'll get this from Francis and I'll say, Francis, what is the risk for the industry if it doesn't change? Um, well, significant risk if there is no change. Um, we all <laughs> we all believe in the importance of reputation. Yeah. <laughs> So if we made commitments to change and they're being quite, you know, high profile public commitments, not just by membership bodies, but far more importantly by big employers, if there have been these commitments, so then a year, two years down the line, there is clearly no change, um, then it will be enormously damaging for the reputation of our industry because we'll either look incompetent or hypocritical. Okay, Alistair, final thoughts? Yeah, just like Barbara said, it's a question of, um, you know how how are you going to how is your business how's your business going to survive how are you going to how are you going to relate to the clients and the markets of the future and a lot of people say well i'm fine for now and I'll, I'll cross that bridge when i come to it well we're at that bridge i mean how many clients did you have last year and how many of those clients are you even going to be around next year and, and, and how are you going to pay your rent you're going to have to go out and find some new business and if you're fundamentally out of touch with uh you know brands markets ideas um, and concepts which are out there, you know, serving the, the modern world, you're just, you, you know, you're not going to get the work. So I, I, I don't think we can put off this whole business any longer. It's absolutely imperative for all the reasons that, that Francis has set out, that we, that we meet our own commitments for the interests of our own reputation. And if we want to survive as an industry, we've just got to get on with this. 
Fantastic. I'm afraid that is all we have time for. It has been wonderful to have the PRCA and CIPR on this podcast. Thank you, Avril, Alistair, Barbara and Francis for joining us and our production partners, Marketeers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit the PR Week website and support our journalism. On behalf of the PR Week team, until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.